0: Coming up in this episode of the Creepy Kingdom Cinema Crypt, we tell you everything you need to know about our latest short film, Georgie. Greetings and welcome to the Creepy Kingdom Cinema Crypt, Creepy Kingdom's podcast all about the spooky side of cinema. I am your host, Mr. James H. Carter II, and this is a very special episode of the Cinema Crypt, because here at Creepy Kingdom, we not only talk about films on this particular podcast, we also make them. And on June 10th, 2019, 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, 12 p.m. Eastern, our latest short film, Georgie, is exclusively premiered online on Fangoria. And on this episode of this podcast, we have the entire executive team on to discuss... All things Georgie, the who, what, why, when, and where, and anyways, every, everything ever, ever, Georgie, besides actually watching the film, <laughs> is coming your way right now. Alright, welcome to a very, very special episode of the Creepy Kingdom Cinema Crypt. I'm joined by two very, very special guests, if you two would like to introduce yourselves,
1: who's going to yep, go first? I'm Ryan Grulick, <laughs> <laughs> master of ceremonies, obviously. Yes. <laughs> and what
0: do
1: and what do you do, Ryan Grulick? Um, I eat tacos, and I uh, work on movies. But I I directed
2: Georgie. And uh, I'm John Campopiano. I uh, produced Georgie and co-wrote it with Ryan. Um, I eat more burritos than tacos, but partial to both and part-time Yeti. Yeah. Part-time it. Yeti. Bill <laughs> Marcus. <Markovist>. Part-time.
1: <laughs>
0: I, I didn't know. I thought you had to choose whether you were Yeti or you weren't. I didn't
2: <laughs> it's a seasonal hat.
0: Okay. These are marvelous times we're living in. So, <laughs> all right. So Georgie, we've been talking about it. Not even a year, which is actually pretty exciting. To think that it comes from a seedling of an idea to a full realized concept in less than a year is pretty exciting. Um, but it is our uh, latest short film. And as of the release of this podcast, it is having its online debut on the iconic horror magazine's website, Fangoria. <laughs> so from seedling of idea to Fangoria and. Nine months. How about, that, yeah. <laughs> how, how about
1: that? How about that?
0: How about that? So before we even get into that, so what for the few people that might have missed it, what what is this about? What is this Georgie thing about? <laughs> John, you, you want to get started? <laughs> you want me to take
1: it? No, you yeah, take go it. Ahead. You take it. All right. You, you take um, it, director. Georgie is about... Pennywise as trickster returning in the guise of Georgie to wreak havoc on Dairy again. That's what it's about.
0: Okay. That's what it's about. And so if the people that aren't familiar
1: with Pennywise.
0: <laughs> Turn off this
1: podcast and go watch it or, or read a book. <laughs> yeah. Take 10 minutes and read the book. Yeah. Just any 10 minutes you got.
0: All right. Uh, it's a 10 minute read. <clears throat> <Yeah. laughs> So, so, um, what what was the inspiration to have this different take on on it?
1: Um, I think for John and I both, and he can add on whatever he wants. But I think that essentially the the opportunity arose from meeting Tony Dakota, who played Georgie, and alongside Tim Curry in the miniseries we all know and love, and. Then the um, development of the story was fairly organic. But the real question was, what can you do with this, right? Because how do you bring people back from the dead? And um, it was just very, I wouldn't say challenging to come up with the concept because it just kind of flew out. But the, um, the idea of what not to do, there were so many ideas of what not to do with this. Like, you know, make it a comedy, try to actually, you know, tie it in from you know him returning from the grave that kind of stuff so that to me it was it was um it was fairly organic to go with this sort of fever dream psychedelia and the initial noodlings are
2: fairly close to what landed on the final cut yeah, I mean, I think, you know, the challenge, or maybe it wasn't a challenge, maybe it helped give us some direction. Is that, you know, if you're familiar with the book or the miniseries or the new film, you you know, you're aware of what happens to the character of Georgie. And so um, th- there's nothing really ambiguous about that. And I think that was, you know, we initially got a little bit of pushback from some fans that sort of said, well, how can he return? He's dead. And, you know, Ryan and I sort of had to, like, bite our lips and say, well, just wait and see, and the story will make sense, and it'll reveal itself to you. Um And so um, I think what we ended up going with really felt like really the only way to do it in a serious way. I mean, you could have made it a musical. We could have done it in all kinds. You know, you could have gotten silly with it. Um, But it seemed like, you know, we wanted it to be dark. We wanted it to be serious. Um, Tony was into the idea of it being dark and being serious. um, And it just felt like the only way to go, really. Where has my arm gone? Right. See, we could have done that. I mean, it could have been a. We could have had a barbershop. Barbershop. Um, I, just, I
1: like. I like riffing. I like because his sarcasm actually translates to pictures in my head, and then I'm like, "Where has my arm gone?"
2: You know, Tony really brought his chops, man. I think he could have done that, but I just did. You know, I wasn't in the cards this time.
1: <laughs> no, not this time. But I, I totally agree. I, I think that there's a few layers of unpacking the idea of why I do this. And I find myself repeating this statement a lot, but in the end, and I, I wasn't necessarily consciously aware of it while we were doing it, but in hindsight, what I really see this as is expanding the King mythos very <clears throat> similarly to what writers did, even during uh, with, with HP Lovecraft, even during his life. So he was a living author when other authors started spinning off of of his mythos and developing stories around those characters and those scenes and those settings, um, and then after he died, obviously it became this you know overwhelmingly large genre really, mm-hmm. and I think that we, for whatever reason, were basically were doing that with it wasn't conscious, but now I see that we did it, and it's um it's really interesting because, you know, I think. 60, 70, 100 years from now, you'll still see people paying homage to Stephen King by entwining some of those characters and those nods and those stories. Um, I think it kind of transcends fan film and goes into that sort of realm um, with the way we did it and what its intention was. Um, But I'm still fine with it being called a fan film. But when it comes back to the fans, I think that that pushback that John was mentioning was probably, and rightfully so, more around don't you dare damage these characters or this story that I really like so much. And I hope that we didn't do that. And initial feedback has been that we didn't. Um, And maybe, you know, I mean, maybe most people will come out feeling that way. And for me, that's a win because it is something that you could easily do. You could easily just like uh, one of the initial conversations of what not to do was to have uh, Tony come home for Thanksgiving dinner and just be like, hey, I'm back, guys. You know, <laughs> like, and, and, like <laughs> and yeah, well, it, yeah, yeah. Life with Georgie. Um, but but, it, you know, and that that we we steered away from anything that remotely resembled that and landed in a place that I think is really foreign and totally unique. And um...
2: well, I also think, too, that, like, you know, it kind of it it touches on the spirit of like what King does with his own writing in the first place, which is that, like, you know, he creates such rich universes with such rich characters that come and go. And, and, you know, I've heard him say in the past that, you know, oftentimes he'll bring a character back you know, like someone from it will show up in the dark tower series. And it's because he has, he has said himself, I, I, I kind of want to know what this person's up to now, you know, yeah. and it's kind of like, I think, that, 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 so that the doing Georgie, the way we did it sort of is true to the spirit of kind of how he has handled a lot of his own stories, which is sort of weaving those universes together and bringing characters back and seeing what they're up to now and how they've changed and where their lives have gone. And so I think, you know, I think it, it kind of rings true to, to some of his style, um, you know, with how we did Georgie.
1: Absolutely. And again, you know, it, with horror fiction, American horror fiction, in my opinion, all roads lead to Lovecraft. And again, that's a very like Lovecraftian worldview to have as a writer. And um, I think that he's unique, King's unique exactly for that reason. What happened to this character? And I've heard him say that, too. And I, I think that that we give a little glimpse into that
2: here in our own way.
1: Also staying true to the nature of of, you know.
2: The monster. I am just now thinking about um, Georgie sitting at a Thanksgiving table with like a table full of food, and and him, you know, him asking like, "Hey, could somebody please pass the squash?" And someone saying, "Well, Georgie, it's right next to you," and it being on his right side, and, and him just sort of going, "Yeah." And it, uh, we, could uh-uh.
3: we could have done that.
2: <laughs> <laughs> he
1: would just be like on the wrong side of the lazy Susan. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Just like not I, quite I, I, able I, to get it
0: I kind of want to watch all of these things you're describing but that, that is not this short <laughs> that's not what you guys did no it's not <laughs> no, this doesn't mean I no, don't want to watch it but you
1: said this was casual this is this is our podcast <laughs> yes. we, we pay the taxes on this podcast so Literally. we can fully explore <laughs> but I think yeah, you know, yeah. TMI <laughs> but yeah I think I, I think what was interesting to me really about telling the story of Georgie is how you could also really tell the story of Sharon Dembro who features in the film as a character and what that relationship with the grief of losing a child would be which is another heavy king trope you know from Pet Cemetery, and it, it plays in this book too obviously but he's, he's really kind of like talked about that a lot and I, I wanted to zero in on that and then you know to me Bob Gray, Pennywise the Clown, whatever I mean whatever name you give the trickster um He's also a boggart, you know, where he takes the shape of what you fear, that kind of thing. Um, And all of those, like, trickster components of that character have always been really fascinating to me. It wasn't until later adulthood and taking, you know, comparative religion classes and studying mythology that I was really able to contextualize the trickster and and what value it had in storytelling. And I think that Pennywise is crafted so expertly as the trickster and like like that boggart kind of feel um that i just i i love that about this character and i really wanted to do something with pennywise because it's so like um, ambitious or maybe like naive to even assume that we could touch the character
2: well and there's a creative freedom too i mean you know pennywise could be anything you know, yeah, I mean, exactly. he, you know, there's there are references to Jaws in the book. I mean, he, he could literally be whatever your fear is. You're afraid of sharks or, you know, I mean, it's so in that way you have a blank landscape and you can just there are no I mean, there are rules, but there are not rules and you can just kind of go with it. Um, and so that's that's pretty liberating from a creative standpoint. You know, it
1: really is. And then it's also very intimidating from a no budget filmmaking standpoint. Right. And so I think we had to get really creative in the writing process, and then in the execution and the final cut to figure out how to get that. And I think with the tools that we had, we ended up delivering what I think was probably the best case scenario for the budget that we had, as far as how to get there. So you know, just from a filmmaker's perspective, I think that we 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 really did something unique there, and um, I'm 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 happy with how our interpretation of of pennywise evolved and and to me that was one of the big questions was can we stick this like that was the thing that kind of you know for lack of a better term kept me up at night you know worrying about how the movie would turn out in the end and what people's reactions would be um an insane amount of work went into this short film and um it was very plotted and very meticulously thought through and I I feel really good now that we're a little bit away from having rendered the final cut, final final cut, to um, to say that we we did okay, you know. I think and I hope people dig it.
0: Well, you know, film subjective, <laughs> but as, yeah. as long as you guys, you know, you know, as long as at the end of the day, you're like, this is this is. My vision is realized as close as possible. I stand by this. That's all you can really do as a creative, I think, you know. And but but sp- to switching gears to what people think of it, uh, the film has um, had a few screenings so far um, at uh, s- s- five and about to well at this point it'd be six by the time you hear this <laughs> six different film festivals uh, premiering at the Boston Underground Film Festival. Um, so why don't you guys go into uh, a little bit what that was uh, was like.
2: Go ahead, John. Talk about Boston Underground. Uh, I mean, Boston Underground was great. I mean, you know, for me, obviously, I'm from the Boston area, for those who don't know, which is probably everybody. Um, so I had a lot of friends and colleagues and stuff there. And um, I think, you know, over the years, I've sort of developed more of a reputation of, of being someone that's more in the documentary world. And so I think to have some kind of narrative fiction Uh, presented was sort of different for people and they probably weren't quite sure what to expect. But, um, you know, the, the feedback so far has been positive. Um, I haven't really heard much from the other festivals that it's played at, but um, in terms of Boston, um, you know, people were impressed with what we were able to do, um, you know, given a small budget and given that there was almost no dialogue, um, they they thought it was, you know, very well done. And, and, um, you know, they thought it was spooky and the atmosphere, you know, everything they said, to us was kind of what we were shooting for. Um, and, uh, so, you know, it's been rewarding in that way. Um, I think the big test will be, um, you know, once it's sort of released to the, to the world via Fangoria and and we see, you know, especially with like a lot of the Stephen King purists and, and the diehard constant readers and all those folks have to say about it. I think that'll be the kind of the true test. Um, but I mean, sort of touching on what you were just saying before, James, that like, just really quickly, you know, I think, and especially for anybody that's listening, that, that, you know, whether you write articles or you make films or you whatever, you know, regardless of the feedback um, or regardless of whether you, you know, captured your ultimate vision on screen or not, you know, there's something to be said of, for finishing a project. And I think that that, you know, whoever you are, whatever you're working on, whatever sort of artistic medium you're in, you know, it, I think having the ideas is really not the hard part. It's sort of like figuring out how to do it and then taking it to the finish line and doing it and making a thing and being, you know, and that's the hard part. And so I'm I'm proud of that. I'm proud of what we did and what's on the screen, but you know, I'm also proud that we were able to finish it. And I think anybody that's making something should should feel that way, you know, to, you know seeing it through. And, and um, so for me, that's a big takeaway. But in terms of feedback, it's been good so far.
1: In Boston, I learned how to say have it.
2: Yeah, there's definitely regionalisms that we, you know, <laughs> introduce Ryan to. Um, we don't like our R's around here, um, but yeah, yeah, it's been good so far. I'm resisting
0: yeah, continuing I, I, the accent. Uh, <laughs> I was going to say something, but I'll...
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it was interesting. While we're diver- diverging from the path here, it was interesting to me as a Texan with no accent to go to Boston, where you know people, not a ton of people had that accent. I don't know if they're transplants or what, but you know, it, what it drove home for me was just kind of, you know, stereotyping and kind of all that stuff. Um, you know, as always is just, it's just bogus. I think that with regard to the, um, with regard to the feedback that people have given from it, there's just been so many cool so far, so many cool, like, people that are either close to the King mythos or, you know, have worked with King. I mean, Larry D. Cohen, you know, said some nice things about the script and the and the the, th- the final cut, and he wrote the teleplay, um, along with several other things that are noteworthy. But, I mean, just that kind of stuff, for me as a consumer of information and media, and I would say somebody who's, you know, read... Mr. Mercedes as well as it and a, and a constant reader really to follow King's work and to have somebody that did adapt it once and quite successfully and masterfully even um, to even get any feedback like that. I mean, that was pretty cool. And then um, I think the ultimate feedback for me thus far with regard to like the Fangoria stuff is the fact that they were willing to, you know, put their name behind it and get it out there for people to watch that. That to me says a lot. And, and yeah. so and that that was kind of the thing that I was most impressed with so far through the process was just kind of hearing from some of the industry people that have been close to this stuff, um, saying nice things, and then to have Fangoria ultimately come in and get involved was just mm-hmm. mind blowing.
0: Well let's talk about our pals at Fangoria a little bit and what and and, and dive down that hole a little bit more because uh, that's something that um you know, just just to be involved with Fangoria, the like the oldest running horror publication of all time, uh, that doesn't really back too many things. You know, like just say, hey, we're gonna. I mean, I mean, how many how many horror shorts come out a year? <laughs> you know? Like, if Fangoria is not, you know, saying, hey, let's let's put it out. So, I guess if there was any fear that while you're making it to be like, I don't know, if people are gonna be well received. I can't think of a bigger stamp of approval.
1: Right. And that's well, besides, besides Stephen King, I guess that would be the biggest approval. Yeah. (laughs) I I, I mean, but from a, from a media standpoint, yeah. 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 I mean, in my opinion, you're, Mm -hmm. you're pretty spot on. Um, Fangoria is really unique in that they are coming back after, you know, a lapse in publishing and, um, I think everything about that company is really cool right now. Like the fact that they're staying print and sending you magazines that they took the black bag away, which I get, but that was cool. Um, you know, and just the fact that they're, they're still just advocates, um, for, for the, for the genre is, is really cool. And I, as far as putting our film versus any other film mm-hmm. out there, what I think is happening is the, Publishers and people in that industry are acknowledging their platform and they're acknowledging their ability to bring out content that otherwise might not get large play. And I think that you'll see more and more of this and Mm. I'm glad for sure. And I would also say to, um, you know, other filmmakers, you know, reach out to publications, reach out to, you know, social media influencers in a given genre or, you know space that you're trying to play in and try to try to build those connections and and have them you know participate in the process content is king so at the end of the day you know people want to put things out there and if it has the merit then it makes sense and I, I really like the possibility of groups like Fangoria and other people in that space and, and horror specifically you know helping independent filmmakers to get a larger audience I think that's really cool.
0: For sure. And John, do you want to kinda of expand on your thoughts on uh, being involved with Fangoria on this one?
2: Yeah, no, I I mean I to echo Ryan, I mean, I agree with everything that he's saying and I think that, you know, they're in a you know, they're in a rebranding phase, so to speak, and they're, you know, content is king. And um, you know, something I like to say to Ryan all the time and I say it to other people You know, is it like the answer is always no if you don't ask, right? And so I think, you know, I you know through some of my other documentaries that I've been working on, you know, I've been lucky enough to sort of make a lot of contacts with people in the industry. And um, through the It documentary that I'm working on, have gotten to know Natasha over at Fangoria fairly well and knew that she was a filmmaker and thought maybe they would be interested in playing ball and giving Georgie a a platform and so reached out and, and, you know, not to oversimplify it, but, I mean, it was as simple as that. And, of course, Georgie had to be a good piece of work for in order for them to want to you know collaborate in this way but um that's that's kind of how it happened and so um you know it's it's we're in an interesting era where we're connected in a way that we never have been before and and um so utilizing those connections and and thinking outside the box and trying to collaborate and and um you know it's really the name of the game especially with a short film like this where there's no clear you know there's no real distribution market there's not a ton of monetary value there's nothing that you can really do with it except get it in front of people and see what kind of life it takes so um yeah i mean i'm i'm psyched that fangoria was interested and um yeah happy to have them happy to be had happy to be had (laughs) yes by them (laughs) Uh, it goes both ways but yeah for
0: sure yeah a lot of having and having going all around so um (laughs) Uh, and it's it's uh, and I think I'm excited to have Georgie on uh, such a wide platform, just to get it out there. And you know who knows how people are going to react to it. Obviously, we want people to like the things that we do as, as creatives. But um, I like to make and be involved in things that are impactful. <laughs> you know, so even if people are don't like it. As long as it it stayed with them, <laughs> you know that's that's the most important thing to me, and um, and I, I I think Georgie will uh, will do that to anyone that watches it, for for even a short film. And I could I could be very uh, objective as I wasn't I wasn't really hands on on the filmmaking process of this film, so I could say as a as a as a you know not you know you know I saw it evolve, but. It wasn't my, it wasn't my baby. Basically, <laughs> so I can say, looking on the outside a little bit, that um, the imagery, the cinematography, the performances, the music, the visual effects—it's all comes this perfect recipe that is just a huge smack in the face. That is, I don't think it could be ignored, personally. And I'm really proud of uh, what you guys accomplished, getting it, getting it all together with all with the. Costumes, every element of it. <laughs> it,
1: really all came together. So, yeah, thank you. Yeah, it's cool, and I, I hope I hope other people feel the same way. Um, I want to zero in on a on the on a couple of those things that you just talked about. So, like mm-hmm. the music, yes. Um, Sideshow Sound Theater, um, who has worked with Creepy Kingdom on the last several projects we've put out, they're awesome, and I love Will and Wendell. We actually just started a band. Which is pretty cool. I think Creepy Kingdom will probably put that music video out here pretty soon for the title song from Georgie or the, the credit song.
0: Oh, we'll we'll get into the song and the song will be out by the time this is out as well. But we're gonna play song okay, at the song in this cool. podcast. So that's uh, so I was gonna ask you a little bit more about the song.
1: <laughs> okay. Well, well, first of all, let's let's, let's dig into Will and Wendell. Um, they they really worked diligently with me to what I think is execute a score that was not derivative of Richard Bellis, but transformative. And it had some derivative components, obviously. We wanted to make some nods. So there are definitely some synths that are being used that were extrapolated from what we understand he was using on the on the score um, for the original miniseries. And the tonal quality um, really brings you back to Derry. And I think that that was... Pretty sweet And really in a film that's, you know, an art house film with no dialogue, basically, um, the music is, is a huge component. And as it gets where it's going, you know, the film itself, as it kind of moves along, there are some opportunities to do some fairly bizarre things with music. And they, they just they really nailed it. And the way we did it was kind of cool because they normally write as a uh, as a duo basically weaving in and out of each other. Okay. And what we did on this film was we broke Will Dodson into the more traditional uh, classic, you know, symphonic score and had him kind of marry in those kind of bellus elements to establish the location and the the universe. And then we had Wendell Jones down in Mexico city, who is his partner Um, really focus on that really heavy abstract and and bizarre kind of stuff. Um, And so that played very well. And then to add into the mix further, there's a sequence in the film which will really pop out. And I'm not going to tell you what it is, but there you go. It'll pop out. And that was designed by a guy named Kevin Gamble, who I've been working with for years on a variety of projects. And um, he did all the sound design for the film. And then he did the score for this this one scene that really sticks out. And so we had three different people doing the score with three unique voices that really broke the acts of the film, in my opinion, into really bite-sized chunks. And you never really notice a jarring sensibility with it. It all flows really well. And so a lot of attention to detail went into the sound design and the score on this. Lots of back and forth emails and calls and getting stuff right. And they were really diligent about it and very creative and kind of with minimal abstract direction and some follow-up did something pretty cool. Um, and I think for them, they kind of said it was like a dream, you know, because they don't have to compete with the dialogue and get ducked under the audio level, not to get too technical, but you know, the musical usually sit under the dialogue. So the music got to be kind of a star here too. Um, the VFX were done by Josh Wells. Oh, before who, we jump to
0: VFX, I, do want to, I oh, just want to comment yeah. on, on Sideshow. Yeah. Um, so, so I think that they're incredible. I've been loving working with them. I've said this on other podcasts. Yeah. Other people might have, if you haven't heard, uh, you know, they scored Foolish Mortals, which was an incredible experience for me working with them because I, well, basically, I gave them one note, and I said I wanted the opening theme to be reminiscent of Tales from the Crypt, that's that was the only thing I said, and when the, what they delivered just completely blew my mind. Like it was still original, It still had its own feel, it still fit Foolish Mortals, but it still gave me that feeling of uh, that POV going into the house when I was a kid, <laughs> you know. Like, and they, yeah, they cool. were able to capture that in their music, you know. And um, and then of course they they uh, they did um, I Hate Halloween which very similar uh, music style. And so I kind of, my thought with them was like, okay, that's what they do. But when they deliver, what they deliver for Georgie is nothing like they've, I've ever heard from them before.
1: (laughs) Right. That's a great statement. (laughs) Yeah, It really really wasn't. And they, and they, they sunk their teeth into it. The thing about sideshow sound is that they do that, you know, that they they fit in the same space as creepy kingdom where it's like accessible horror Mm -hmm. for lack of a better term, where it's just like spooky stuff that the whole family can enjoy. Um, and they took this opportunity to do something different, and I thought really stuck it, um, and it was out of the box for them. But if you actually listen to like their podcast and some of the, they have a podcast, and they put up a bunch of YouTube videos. They analyze scores from you know all over the place, mm-hmm. and they can unpack you know all these different things. So that their, their 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 scope is really wide, and I'm all, I'm also really excited to be doing this band with them because they have like. Just in infinite music knowledge. I mean, they're they're super talented and they they play all over the place. So I mean, like the 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 song that's at the end that you'll play, you know, it was like we were going for like circus clowns meets Perturbator. <laughs> and you know they, oh, they everyone everyone's, everyone's going for that these days. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> when you come over to my house, that's what you're playing. <laughs> but I think that that's you know that, to speak to their credit, yeah, they they, they were just phenomenal. always have been and I expect to continue to work with them on pretty much anything I can get them on
0: yay okay so VFX (laughs) let's talk about those yeah because we uh this is the first creepy kingdom VFX move thing right I mean besides the no
1: no, we did a full-scale 3D modeling in uh, well, Foolish Mortals. Of course, that is. That, uh, that I meant over um, f- uh, shot footage. <laughs> <laughs> um, kind of, yeah. I mean, I hate Halloween had some more tidally kind of stuff. But yeah, this this was definitely the most involved effects components that Creepy Kingdom have had in a movie besides yeah, – yeah, I mean, yeah, that's it. Yeah. But so Josh <laughs> Wells really kind of um, led the charge on that. With regard to processing, like the paper boat, um, with regard to some of those things that were a little bit more nuanced and tricky, um, and we had some help, but I mean, for the most part, he was he was very much um, in that seat, and I think that the uh, the way they turned out, again, for no budget and crunch time and all this, um, was really impressive. I will say that the most difficult thing that I've been involved with from a post-production standpoint was getting the paper boat in the paper boat sequence in this to work. Um, that is a super challenging thing because it's paper folding in 3d space, basically origami. And there's a couple of manipulations towards the end of making a paper boat by hand that to recreate in the 3d space was really difficult to get right. Um, but in the end it turned out fantastic. I like the textures, everything that we did really, you know, kind of pops out. Um, and I, I think that, yeah, the visually there's a lot happening in this movie. There's a lot happening in that short space. Um, and then also, you know, we, we had another artist and, and VFX guy working on the short called justice Biggert. Um, he did the, the sequence that will pop out and blow your mind. Um, oh, he did it, that alone. Say his name again. It, it, uh, it justice Biggert. There we go. Yeah. B i g g a r t. Um, and he is, he's responsible for this one scene in the film that everybody's going to like, I think. Um, <laughs> and he, he turned it around, about 30 days, you know, working kind of straight on it. Um, and it was really impactful, and he he did a great job. Um, and I think that that piece really complemented the film insanely well. Um, other notable people on this would be uh, DP Asher Vast, who I, I work with quite a bit um, on commercial film, too. And he's uh, he's great, it's a great partnership. Um, you know, he doesn't direct on top of you, he lets you get the shot the way you want it, and gives you the time, buys you the time. Um. Also buying me time was Coral Untalon, who was the assistant director um, for the short. And I work with her on a bunch of different things. And she's, you know, it, what what it came down to in the end with the crew was everybody was in it for the long haul. We shot the interiors, a 26-hour shoot total, I think, and um, straight. Oh, wow. And so we really had to take the time to meticulously kind of craft the images and stuff and wait,
0: wait. this, with, a, a, this was, let's think about it. you said twenty six hours straight. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. we let's, did, let's we take, did a and people. take that in. Yeah, I don't say let's yeah. take a and take that in.
1: <laughs> yeah, man.
3: Yeah. It was wow. it was pretty
1: wild. Um but um yeah th- those folks buying us time to get it right and not rushing the process. That's it's such a huge component of how you get good images and how you tell good stories with a camera is taking the time to get it right. And, uh, the actors, you know, they were great, of course, uh, also on the, they, they, they make it happen, but also on the crew was Amelia Zabrak and she did the, uh, prosthetic and makeup. Mm. Um, and she worked really hard in pre-production with me. We were looking at photos of sausages that were all rotted and all sorts of crazy things to get fleshy looks. And, you know, I mean, she's she's just all over the place in the film with her makeup, and she helped out with the wardrobe a great deal, um, and was one of the only people besides me to get you know up close and personal with Tony, who played Georgie Tony Dakota, um, in the pre-production process to really get the. <laughs> the makeup right. And I I think that she stuck it and it looks super good and everything she did really plays. And so we just had this really incredible crew and I'm not mentioning probably, I think we had 30 odd people on the crew. So I'm not mentioning a lot of them, but um, they all did great. And it was a really awesome team effort. And when you shoot for 26 hours straight, it's mind numbing. um, (laughs) But it's for, for, especially if you're not like super actively in a role that's like constantly moving, um, it's mind numbing and they, they pretty much all stuck it out to the end. So it's pretty impressive.
0: Yeah. I mean, for a lot of people that I know, it's like being on set. It's the, and it's the game I call the hurry up and wait game for most people.
1: <laughs> but Absolutely.
0: But they got to be on deck the second they're needed. So, you know,
1: it's... and, and present and attentive <laughs> yeah. and thinking outside the box. And once you start getting past about 12 hours on a shoot, people really start falling off um and so that was like you know the whole back half of the shoot and the way we structured it was some of the more visually challenging stuff was shot first for that reason um i think you know there's there's one sequence in the film where we were there there where there's balloons and all this and we were in those frames for probably about six hours um straight just grinding it out and trying to get it right um but yeah it was it was really cool it was a great I look back on that one as a really great day, even though it was super long. That's why you kind of do this stuff, you know.
0: Well, that's why we do anything, right? So we can look back and say, what a sweet time that was, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Um, I think as far as crew recognition goes, I, I guess I just – I do want to say that if anybody's listening and I didn't mention your name, I still love you, still super grateful. Um, but there were so many people that it's it's a bit overwhelming. Um, but we have an awesome crew here in Seattle and all of these people I work with pretty regularly. And I I just, I think that it shows on screen, you know, the continuity and all that stuff just really, really pops. And without them, it wouldn't happen.
0: Well, we all, everyone involved in filmmaking knows that filmmaking is a thankless job. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Get used to that.
0: (laughs) No, but obviously, you know, everyone that, everyone that came together, not even just the crew from the crowdfunding Portion of right. of this that made it happen financially, and yeah, um, was incredible. I don't think we ever directly did a podcast about it. We talked about it on podcasts, but we even had like lots of cool uh, things for the crowdfunding
1: campaign. What yeah, was, John pretty much spearheaded all of that. Yeah, well, yeah, shows? those are <clears> throat> more
2: throat> people to thank, right? I mean, you know, Zachary Jackson Brown did the uh, yes. did the poster for George and um was patient and did many drafts, many iterations. <laughs> and down to just play ball and kick around ideas, um Shane Murphy who runs a company called Theater of Creeps out of Worcester, Massachusetts. He does some of the best horror enamel pins and prints and original artwork that you can get. Yeah. Um, do- donated his time and money to have some great pins made up for us. And so, you know, there were a lot of people that that um, Ben Scrivens, you know, Ben Scrivens of Fright Rags, you know, yeah. another example of somebody that, um, you know, was was committed to helping, a you know, a, a no budget project and independent filmmakers tell a story and throw his throw his company, his uh, his brand behind it and um, get some T-shirts made. And so, you know, there were so many people that stepped up to the plate and either donated their time their resources or both to help us you know raise the funds that we needed to to get this made so um you know Ryan likes to say teamwork makes the dream work and i mean if this isn't a definition of that you know i don't know what is so 100%
1: john i don't know about you but like when when i got my fright rag shirt in the mail back from you know the the crowdfunding campaign i was like wow like that's really cool like as a horror nerd having a fright rag shirt for georgie is another one of those like kind of really cool instances that came out of this so that, that, that was awesome there were just so many of those the mm-hmm. pins are great i'm looking at them right now i mean yeah. all
2: all of it really did click and um yeah, yeah I, I, I don't think i got a t-shirt so i <laughs> i can't relate to you on that one but but the pin was rad and i love the pin um and ju- just to sort of have you know something that you worked on, you know, and, and have it, have a tangible sort of like, you know, piece of merchandise that's tethered to that project. That's like, that's yours in the sense of, you know, this story. Um, yeah, it was really gratifying. It's really cool.
0: What's cool about the merch that was created is that, um, it, it they're just kind of cool on their own without context. Like, <laughs> like the, right, of the pin, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, the pin, the pin, just a cool pin. I mean, if you don't know what exactly <laughs> it's supposed to be from, um but yeah just you know to have so many people support us making the film without any real proof of anything right cuz you know <laughs> you know a few storyboard images uh some concept art um you know it definitely puts gas in the in the tank i'd imagine in in and wanting to deliver something for the people that believed in you early on and supported especially the 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 backers <laughs> particularly who are just blindly you know, contributing just because they're excited about the idea. Um, Sure. So this whole time of filmmaking is really awesome because in my opinion, because it's, we're really able to kind of cut out the the middleman here and make stuff for people with the help of those people. Like it's an incredible time.
2: (laughs) And I think, yeah. And I think the people that, you know, that back these projects, like I, I think as someone that has backed other similar projects, right. In the past, like, I think there's like a sincerity behind the people making this kind of content that like the people that are supporting it they they understand that like that we're really just one of them and yeah. that that we care about this stuff and we're interested in it and we're, we're doing it to just put out more creative stuff in the world and leave some interesting things behind and, and you know not to get too philosophical about it but i mean that's really what it is and i think that people they can see through you know and like i think that they see that there's a there's a genuine interest and like a genuine passion for this stuff, and I think that it 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 makes it easier for people to jump on board and say, yeah, I want to support this or I want to be a part of it in some way. And um, I definitely felt that way to a large extent with Georgie. Yeah,
1: absolutely, absolutely. It, it, it was it's always cool when you do these crowdfunding things to see people get engaged, um, and you just hope that you can fulfill their needs the way you're supposed to and do all that stuff because you're not. shipping warehouse you're a filmmaker and so you want to make sure that you know those those things are done well and but the the fact that people rally behind things in an age where there's so much saturation and Mm -hmm. people vying for their attention and dollars and bandwidth it's it's like super humbling you know and I, i i feel the same as john like you know as somebody that plays with you know trying to support other artists it's um I'm sure a lot of the people that, that played on this were, you know, other artists, so thanks to them. Yeah, for making it happen.
0: For sure. Uh so one other element we haven't dive in Do- Do- Divin- doven? Is that a new word? Doived. We haven't in. Doivedin- doived, yet. Yeah. <laughs> is uh I like doived. We haven't dwived in yet is uh, <laughs> 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 is uh the per the performances of the actors. Oh those guys film. Yeah. Yeah, so why don't we talk a little bit about as we run uh, round home base here? Um, you know what the uh, intention was before, and and, uh, and you know how and how it turned out. I guess from from your guys' perspective,
2: John, what are your what are well? Your thoughts? I guess I'll just say that you know I think I think because we did for Meredith's part, Sharon Denbro. You know we we did more of a traditional casting call, and so. Ryan and I got to see, you know, some, some tapes from her. And, and, and so I think we kind of knew more or less what we were going to get from Meredith. I mean, I'm just speaking for myself here. Ryan may disagree in terms of Tony. Um, you know, it was a little bit more of a question mark, you know, he hadn't really, with the exception of doing the interview for the documentary, which was really just a straightforward talking head interview, you know, he hadn't really acted or been particularly physical, especially on camera in, you know, quarter of a century. So, I think we were not quite sure what he was going to deliver and he had expressed some nervousness prior both to the interview for the documentary and also shooting Georgie. And so it was kind of a question mark um, to say the least. And, you know, he, but he just, he nailed it. He just brought it a hundred percent. And so it was a pleasant surprise, but it was, you know, somewhat of a surprise. Um, So uh, Ryan, and you know, whatever you want to add to that. Yeah, I think, The cool thing about this with regard
1: to Tony was that he had this anxiety about a few things. I think, you know, getting back on camera was an anxiety for him. Um, He has a great deal of mental toughness as a person. um, And the anxiety didn't overwhelm him. And he did just literally, like, bring it. I think that's a great way to say it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was very cool as a director to work with someone who was so present, um, and you could tell that he had training as a child actor. And it was almost like riding a bike, I guess, for him, you know. And the um, the scenes where he had to. You know, basically, hit marks, replicate and duplicate movements because it was so physical. Because we weren't letting him lean on dialogue as a crutch, he never speaks in the film. Um, he was able to set and reset positions and hit marks pretty effortlessly, and it was really interesting to watch that. And I think that um, he just he he has he has chops and And hopefully we get to see him in more things as time goes on. but but I, I feel like um, he definitely brought it, working with Ben Heller, who is, I think we just keep saying this every time we talk about Ben. He's like the world's greatest human. Um, <laughs> he really is. He's just the nicest person, the most professional person, sincere. There's so much right about that guy. Um, having him come out and and shoot was um was really special. And uh, got to know him and, and just have him in our lives, I think is really it's a really cool treat. He's a nice dude. And Ben um, well, then for Meredith me, Oh sorry
0: before you run, go for, ahead. for people that don't know who Ben Heller is, if uh, <laughs> I should yeah. elaborate a little
1: bit. <laughs> oh yeah. So Ben played Stan Uris in the nineteen ninety miniseries Child Stan Uris, um, who I think, you know, in a lot of ways had a a really emotional and diverse role. As, as a child actor, that was a pretty emotional and diverse role. You know, mm-hmm. there, there was a lot going on with Stan's character. It's funny because now knowing him, and I, re- I rewatched the, the miniseries not too long ago, and I, I really realized that. Like, he, he had a great deal of range as a kid, and he still does as an adult. Um, he's very humble. He's very quiet, but he, he really, yeah, he really has a lot of range. So I, I think that um, that was a pretty, it was just a pretty cool experience to work with him. And, um, I think you may see more in the future. But I think that with Meredith, um, Meredith was, for me, Meredith was um one of those castings where it was like she's not a bit player because in a lot of ways, I feel like this story, this this you know, arthouse film is one of those things where you can to tie a meaning to it, however you like. One of the meanings or associations that I've given to this story is the relationship that parents have with their children, and in particular, the way mothers disassociate from, you know the child. and and there is some slight like edible connotations to this movie as well. But for her, um, I was really convinced that she would be able to deliver a, Good performance in a genre film because I'd seen her in other genre film. She was in a movie called Beloved Beast that is pretty interesting. Was also shot here in Seattle, feature length, like crazy feature length, hmm. Um, hmm. which if, if you haven't seen it, might worth, be worth checking out. Um, she had a great role in that. And so I knew her from other stuff. And when she sent in her tape, her first tape, we were kind of like, yeah, yeah, I see it. And then we asked her to send in a second tape and when she sent in the second tape with very basic direction via email and a phone call she nailed it and it was just like okay she's going to be able to do this and there were so many instances on set with Meredith where she would tie in she was very method and she would like go and hang out and really you know try to get into character and then come on, come in and shoot her scenes we were also shooting in her house by the way so kudos to her for allowing that to even happen um but Absolutely. she uh yeah she She really nailed the stressed physicality of that look and, you know, the idea that your, you know, a vision of your deceased child is is back in your space. It's not easy to sell. Um, It could easily look cheesy and and be ruined. And um, she took direction very well and um kind of got ran over the coals and a lot of her stuff on the interiors was shot towards the end of that 26 hour day so by the end by the end of it it was like a little kubrick kind of method where she was just beaten up and you know emotion emotionally there because she's an actor and i think she played really well too um and obviously she doesn't have the it connection that the other two guys have but i i think she stands on her own you know i think think absolutely yeah i think she really works well in the movie
0: yeah i think and again uh for a, a non dialogue performances a lot it's all in the uh the physical <laughs> uh and the expressions and right yeah and all that stuff and um uh, everyone delivered <laughs> on that which is um i i think hard to accomplish so um, yeah, I, this has just been a stew with all the perfect seasonings and just these perfect amount of measurements <laughs> to make a perfect, <laughs> perfect. It's a delicious stew. Yeah. casserole. Yes. <laughs> mm, casserole. So, uh, so uh, as we round, round up, uh, the last thing I do I want to talk about is the song, but before that, um, I, I want to, uh, get a little bit of spotlight on the things, uh, that you've worked on in the past, John, and, um, which... Uh, it's just so our listeners know a little bit. Um, oh, yeah, your documentary work.
2: Yeah, so I well, my first my first documentary was about um, Stephen King's Pet Cemetery. It's called Unearthed and Untold, and um, was an indie doc that came out in 2017 uh, via Terra Films digitally, and uh, Synapse Films put it out on Blu-ray. Uh, you can find it on iTunes and Amazon and all that good stuff. Um, And we're now in post-production on our latest documentary about Stephen King's It called Pennywise, The Story of It. And uh, we dropped an extended trailer back in February for that. And that'll be out later this year. Um, Yeah, those are the two major things. Yeah.
0: Those are some pretty big things. So right on.
1: (laughs) And for anybody who hasn't seen the Pet Cemetery doc, it's, it's very well done. And, um when I was first kind of getting into looking to, you know, work with John and stuff, I, I always try to watch what people have done just to kind of get a bead for where they're at in the process. And as a documentarian, um, very, very good. And that, that documentary had a lot of cool stuff that if you're into that movie, you're going to need to see that if you haven't.
2: No, yeah. I- thanks man. Yeah. We were, you know, that was a two man project and um, it was, we kind of put the, the, cart before the horse a little bit in that um we were justin white and i who was my colleague on that we uh we were doing research about the locations of that film basically the 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 genesis of that documentary is looking at the film and and where it was shot in maine and the uh, local impact it had on people in maine um because it was stephen king's first film that was shot in maine they're all set in maine but this was actually shot in maine and um so we were doing research sort of just on our own as fans and um before we knew it we sort of had what looked like the beginnings of a documentary, so we just sort of took it to the finish line, and it took about I don't know, about four years to make. And um, so it was, we're, we're proud of it for that reason, that it was kind of just like, you know, boots on the ground, two guys just sort of grinding it out. And um, so it was, again, kind of speaking back to what I was saying earlier, was sort of we were just glad that it got finished uh, at all um, because there were so many opportunities for it to not get finished or to just sort of give <laughs> up and um, be done with it. But um, yeah, we're proud of that one, and um, so. We'll see yeah how I, really, that.
1: I really i really love it yeah pennywise is going to be amazing and just even being able to play a small part in helping that thing happen with the shoot here in seattle it was pretty it's it's going to be a very cool documentary and if you haven't seen the trailer for that definitely go and check it out because wow
0: <laughs> so just uh so um where can you see the pet cemetery doc where is that available
2: yeah, so you can you can pick that up on Blu-ray on Amazon or the Synapse website, or you can watch it. You can stream it on iTunes, Amazon Prime, Hulu. Um, it's kind of uh, it's on Shutter. You can stream it on Shutter. It's uh, it's pretty accessible if you just Google it. Um, it should pop up. Yeah.
0: And so um, and and how are people going to be able to uh, see uh, Pennywise?
2: <laughs> Yeah, so the Pennywise one, um, it'll be, we'll have a Blu-ray release as well. We're still looking into sort of more larger distribution. We've got our Blu-ray and DVD uh, fulfillment that we're, we'll owe, you know, the, the backers to the Indiegogo. Um, but after that, you know, we plan on making it available digitally and, and um, you know, home video as well and Blu-ray and DVD. Um, so... Yeah, we'll be sure to promote that once once we know we'll have pre-orders available for that probably later this summer um, and like I said it'll it'll be out into the world before the uh, the end of the year so and we'll be sure to plug we'll be sure to plug that on creepy Kingdom
1: when the time comes
0: oh yeah there'll be more info I just wanted in case people were interested just to plant, yeah. just plant a seed in their head on how they can watch it when it's available
2: <laughs> yeah well that that's a good seed and we'll be sure to water it later in the year <laughs> right on right on
0: <laughs> great all right so let's uh um last but not least here, let's let's talk about uh the song that you wrote, you, Ryan wrote with Sideshow. What is the name of this new joint musical project?
1: <laughs> right now we're calling it the Doomy Gloomies. Okay. <laughs> and it's um it's fun. The the songs that that song, Cupcake, had a very personal meaning to it um for me and I I wrote it and you know wrote the music and um I was gonna do it with this Irish dirge band um and we sent it over to a studio to let them know hey this is roughly what we're coming into track well when we sent it over there this gal got a hold of it her name's Eva Stokes and she uh she picked it up somehow and then I got this email back I was out of town and I got this email back on the road that was like here's your song um you know, better than you did it before, basically. And so I scrapped the idea of singing it myself, handed it over to her, and then it became more of this kind of dance song. So we enacted Sideshow to come in and take a stab at it. And they just, they nailed it. And it's a great song. The video was directed by a guy named John Robinson, who I'm friends with. I produced it with him and uh, his partner, Eric. And uh, they just did a fantastic job. And Eva stars in the video along with a gentleman named Russell, who works with me in the entertainment business, and he's the he's a ghost in the video. Um, and it was just it was a really cool kind of side, um, this just like a really cool byproduct of Georgie, you know, working together and all that. So pretty pretty cool. Pretty excited to put some music out there.
0: Awesome. Uh, this seems like all all in all has been a. On all levels, a complete creative outlet for you.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in a lot of in a lot of ways. Yeah, it's it's kind of touched all, at least all the places I'm I'm worth being creative at. You know, um, I, I think that it, it allows to play that way. But you know, I, I think music and film for me they just they go hand in hand. Like you know, I mean, I, I can't imagine not being really close to the music on a film, and um, it just so happened that when I was really putting you know the screws to finishing Georgie and, and playing in that space that this song kind of came out of the background of it and so it's all interrelated and um really interesting
0: all right so before we get out of here and play that song right now you could watch Georgie how can people do it What what is the elevator pitch
1: for the- <laughs> oh yeah time to plug yeah June 10th June 10th 12 p.m eastern standard time as i understand it yes which is nine o'clock for those of us out here on the best coast
0: west side is the best um, side
1: for sure and um wait, 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 that we, we lost john.
0: On... john would have probably had a comment john had to go so he says
1: goodbye to everyone <laughs> yeah <laughs> J- john had to get back to real life so we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna claim west side um but yeah so anyway uh That will happen on June 10th, 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And, uh, you know, they're going to have it for 48 hours. And then I think that after that, um, you know, we've got some really interesting plans for how to give it a a forever home. And we'll see what plays out and keep everybody updated as that stuff manifests. But um, this is kind of a pinnacle moment for Georgie, really. So I hope everybody watches it and I hope everybody enjoys it. And if you don't enjoy it, Tell James, not me. Because <laughs> okay. I'm sensitive.
3: He's sensitive.
0: Yeah. <laughs> let me know. <laughs> but any, I mean, any anyone listening at this point, you know, thanks for listening. If you're just checking us out, just because you're a Georgie fan, that's awesome. If you're, but uh, particularly, I want to thank uh, the Creepy Kingdom followers, listeners, whatever people, the citizens of the Creepy Kingdom, who support. All of our endeavors, no matter what we do—podcasts, films, clothing lines, (laughs) whatever—you know—we're we're we're doing this stuff because we we love it and we want to provide awesome stuff for like-minded people. Yeah, agreed. That's the fuel in my gas tank every day. (laughs) So, so I'm very excited to that to you know to get georgie out there and in the fact this that this was seedling of idea hit entered your brain less than a year ago and now here we are is very it's, it's exciting so
1: yeah it is and again thank you yeah to everybody uh listening happy
0: georgie day yay all right here's cupcake kind of
3: like here's johnny
0: got it right. here's
3: johnny <laughs> i cut got these in the sheets where your eyes used to be, in the palm and in the pine. I put your memory away in a place it would stay, or at least I know I'd try. I to feel your ghost when it's quiet.
0: All right, so June 12th, 12 p.m. Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific. And if you're in another time zone, you have to do the math, sorry. <laughs> but that is when Georgie will no longer be available on Fangoria. There will be other screenings if you're listening to this way after that point. <laughs> but if it's still that point, then please check it out by going to Fangoria's social media accounts you can also go to Creepy Kingdoms because of course we're linking back to that as well and if you want to contact us here at the Cinema Crypt podcast you can do so by emailing us creepykingdom at gmail.com and for all things Creepy Kingdom our articles our reviews to check out our shop links to our social media check out other podcasts all that fun stuff is just sitting there waiting for you at CreepyKingdom.com. And lastly, if you want to support what we do here at Creepy Kingdom and check out some exclusive bonus content, then check out our Patreon. That's Patreon.com slash Creepy Kingdom. That's where our exclusive, our Patreon exclusive, sorry, podcast, Live from the Dungeon Lives. That is currently where our Documentary on Haunted Mansion fans, Foolish Mortals Lives Online. The clock is ticking on that, by the way. It is gonna be leaving Patreon very soon. So if you've been waiting, he's like oh, I'll check it out later. Well, now is the time. <laughs> Just go to patreon.com slash creepy kingdom. Alright, now it's time to close the crypt. <laughs>